All right, I would like for you to do something with me. If everyone will please stand for just a moment, if you can, if you can, just stand with me. We're going to take just a moment, and I want you to just love Jesus in your own way. You can worship him quietly. You can speak out loud, whatever you want to do. I want you to just worship him. That is uh, proclaiming his ultimate worth, that there is nothing more important to you than him. I just want you to take a moment and do that, and we're going to direct kind of our worship as we go. So do this with me. Let's do this. We worship you, God, praise you, honor you. You, God, you are my life. You are my everything. And we seek you, Lord God. We want you, Lord God. Father, we ask you tonight to speak to us, to move in our hearts. God, to change us. Father, to have your will and way in everything that would happen here. God, you are just that. You are God, and we need you. Please, Lord God, be glorified in this place. You are the one that hears all of our prayers. No one loves us like you do, Lord. No one loves you, loves us like you do. You are the one that is always there. And we seek your face and we ask you, Lord, to transform and change us, to bless our church, Father, to bless this church as it seeks to be a blessing to you. God, we need your life. We need to know you. We don't need to just talk about you, but God, we need to know you. So God, we say we love you. We love you with all of our hearts. We ask you, God, to please by your Holy Spirit to open our ears and our hearts so that we might receive from you. We ask you, God, to speak to us tonight. Please speak to us right now. Father, that we might know you, that we might experience you, that you might heal us, that you might change us, that you might be glorified. And everybody, how many of you know this song? Sing it if you know it. Holy, you are holy, King of kings, Lord of lords, you are holy, holy, you are holy, King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you again. Holy, you are holy, King of kings, Lord of lords, you are holy. Holy, you are holy, King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. One more time, with all your heart to Jesus. Holy, you are holy, King of kings, Lord of lords, you are holy. Holy, you are holy, King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you, King of kings and Lord of lords, King of kings, Lord of lords, I worship you. Be glorified, be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Not too bad for a man who can't sing, right? Make a joyful noise, that's right. 
God's good like that. Listen, God never said I had to impress anybody but him. All right. So Exodus, we're going to be in the book of Exodus, the first chapter that we're going to be looking at. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 13. Okay, so Passover. Passover has taken place, and Passover is kind of joined together with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Okay, they kind of go right up against each other. And so what has happened is God in his, not only in his infinite grace, we always say that, and in his love, but God has in history forever shown his power, not only to Israel, but he has shown it to the world. People will often say, I wish God today would just come out and go, pow. Well, well, hold on, he did. You know, it's just that in every generation, we want God to just jump down and and do all these kinds of wild and demonstrative things so that everybody around the world can see this. But people think about it. He does it. He does it over and over again. The, The time has come for us to believe it, to receive it, to stand upon it. And whenever you look at the Old Testament and you look at the deliverance, Okay, the deliverance of Israel from their slavery in Egypt, the plagues that God poured out upon them. I mean, people, this was something that was rumored throughout the whole known world at that time. And they didn't even have the internet. What I'm saying is people said, you, you've heard about the Hebrews. You heard what happened to Egypt. Egypt, that Pharaoh, he ceased to exist. He was drowned along with his armies in a sea. A sea that was parted by God. Not to mention all the plagues that came upon Egypt. But the whole world, God put it out there for everyone to see that the whole world would know. And he says it to Pharaoh that everyone may know that I am the Lord God. So he has done this. Now, in the New Testament... We have the greatest of all revelation. We don't simply have God demonstrating his power. We have God wrapping himself in flesh and he comes into this world. He literally, as a psalmist and as other scriptures said, Oh Lord, that you would step down from heaven, that you would come, that you would be here with us. And yet he did. He steps down from heaven in the most humble ways. And I guess we can wait for a... uh, Christmas or Easter sermon, I guess, to really, really delve into this. But people, this is a whole of our Christian existence. That God came down. That God humbled himself. That God was willing to die for our sins. That he didn't just come down and I guess you would say make forgiveness, but he actually revealed to us who God really was. And by the way, a lot of the things that Jesus Christ is teaching us and revealing to us about his father are seen right here in these chapters. The very ones that we're studying now. Because we see his goodness, we see his power, we see all of this. We see God stepping in time and for the whole world to see is crucified upon a cross and then raised Raised from the dead, never more to die, seated at the right hand of the Father, from henceforth coming to judge the living and the dead. And one day we will be with him forever. As the Bible says, he will crush Satan under his feet and under our feet, is what it says, for we are seated with Christ in high places. So the Passover is coming. God has been distinguishing, if you will, and he is still distinguishing in in various ways between his people and the others, those that will bow the knee to him and those that will not. 
He has chosen Israel and he has said, be a special people to me. Listen to me, love me, obey me, and I will bless you. And as we say all the time, and I will curse those that curse you. That is, I will fight for you. Okay. But then whenever this final plague comes, he tells them, okay, I'm showing you favor. I'm providing a sacrifice for you. But understand this plague is not discriminatory in this respect. It comes for all. Death is coming for all. But there is a way of escape. And he gives them the Seder meal and he explains the importance that they're going to hastily, in haste they're going to be fleeing out of Egypt, they're going to uh, be released. But he also tells them that you are going to take a lamb without spot or without blemish and he says you will kill that lamb and you'll keep it whole. Not one of its bones will be broken, symbolic of Jesus, not one of his bones will be broken, but you will take that blood and you will strike it. You'll take hyssop, the plant, dip it in it, and you'll strike it on the right and left side of your door and across the lintel. And he says, when the plague comes, he says, when death comes for you, when it sees the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. The plague will not be upon you. I will spare you. And it is the same today. People, all of this, the reason why we study these heartbeats in Scripture is because this screams of Jesus. Without the blood of the Lamb, there would be no sparing from eternal death, eternal condemnation in hell. But Jesus himself bore that for us. And people, this is, this is kind of a hard concept to understand. God in his holiness, he will judge sin. It is not okay to destroy and tear people apart and to blaspheme God. But at the same time, do you think it was God's desire for all of us you know, to just look down and say, hey, I want to send everybody to hell. That sounds like a good thing to do. No. Now, are people going to hell? Yes, hell hath enlarged, enlarged itself, okay? But is it going to happen? Yes, there are people that are going to stand at the judgment and will fall condemned. It is not compulsory heaven for everyone. The Bible says that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. But the whole reason God sent Jesus is because he does not want that condemnation for you and me. He sent a sacrifice. He sent the perfect lamb. And that's what we're looking at here. One of the greatest foreshadowings of Jesus Christ himself, that his blood would be shed and whenever his love, his blood and love for that matter, is applied to our life, the judgment that would fall upon us, the death and condemnation that would fall upon us, God pass over, pass over, that's a good word. God says, I will pass over you, Okay. So we have seen this. Now what's getting ready to happen is God is going to take them out of Egypt. Pharaoh, finally, he's heartbroken. His son's dead. He's got all of these emotions with him. And God's already warned him. He said, he's coming after you. Believe it or not, read the scriptures. He told, oh, Pharaoh, be alone here shortly. They were already warned that that was going to happen. 
But anyway, he tells them to leave, so they get their people together. And one of the things that we were told is that they would plunder Egypt. What happens is as they leave, the people give them gold, they give them silver, they give them all kinds of things, you know, just please just leave. So they leave. And God could have easily led them through the land of the Philistines and some other things, but he takes them this special way, and they wind up at the Red Sea. Now, as they are going, as they are traveling, the Bible says that God is giving them also a visible uh, I guess you would say sign of his presence that God is with his people. For all people, for all that might be said of the signs and wonders that God gives us in the Old Testament for being with his people, we too have one. He is called the Holy Spirit. It is the earnest of the Spirit. It is God with us always living inside of us. The Bible calls it the earnest of the spirit because it is the assurity that we will one day be inheritors of complete and utter salvation. That we will live with him forever. It is given to us the witness that we are God's children. But I want you to take a look in in Exodus. Let's see. Exodus 13, 8 through 16, what God tells them about the Feast of Unleavened Bread along with uh, Passover here. So Exodus 13, starting with verse 8, listen to what he tells them. God always tells us, teach our children, remember these things, talk about them, share them with one another so that future generations may know. All right. So it says, and you shall tell your son in that day saying this, so in other words, why are we eating unleavened bread? This is what you'll tell your son uh, whenever they ask. This is done because of what the Lord did for me when I came up from Egypt. It shall be as a sign to you on your hand and a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep his ordinances in its season from year to year. You must Keep these festivals. You must teach them to your children. For generation to generation, your children will know what the Lord God has done for you. Okay? So, let's see here. Let's hold off there. I'm going to move forward. Let's go to 21. Let's go to verse 21. We'll pause there. So, in verse 21... Listen to this sign that God gives them. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go by day and night. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. People, this wasn't that they were burning things and incense, and there was a cloud there, and the priests were doing this, and so it was a sign that, okay, God is with us, and at night they weren't burning things so that they could see, and people just simply said, okay, this is God's presence. No, this is a supernatural manifestation of God, a theophany, if you will. Of his presence, that is. So what's happening here is during the day, we have this cloud. Very well may have provided shade. But they would look at this cloud that was above them. And if in the event the cloud moved, they followed the cloud. At night, there was a pillar of fire above the tabernacle, people. Above the tabernacle. Whenever they finally built it, it was right there, right above it. They had light at night. And if it moved, they had to follow it too. 
So at all times, they had this witness that God was, yes, there among his people. So whether you had goosebumps or all this other stuff, God was showing them, there I am. I'm here with you. Now, what is interesting is that oftentimes this manifestation of God is referred to as the angel, capital A, of the Lord, which we know is God. But anytime we hear that, we think of Jesus. That is God appearing in a form for people to see and to behold, to be made tangible. We often refer to as a Christophany in that God, when he reveals himself to people, does it in the person of Christ. So anyway, keep in mind that this witness is there. Now, there's a couple of things for this, but I, I want to talk about one thing that is very important. Whenever you see God acting in judgment with his people, it is sometimes easy to think or to say, well, God is, is, can be a little harsh. You know, God's judgment kind of falls like a hammer on things. Well, you have to also understand what's happening here. How many of you have a pillar of cloud by uh, day and a fire by night walking around with you everywhere you go? How many of you actively hear, not just in your spirit, but I'm talking about audibly God speaking to you and telling you A, B, C, and D, period. How many of you have this physical, tangible witness at all moments where it is not just God dealing with our hearts where we make decisions, but it is God looking in front of you and saying, this is it, do it this way. Well, we don't have that, okay? We have something greater. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but you need to understand whenever it comes to proximity of God. What I mean by that, when God gives greater revelation of himself, When we stand in very close proximity or very near God, the consequences for disobedience become very grave because you know better. So Israel's relationship at this time in walking with God and God tells him what to do. It's kind of like God says, remember the Sabbath day. Do not work on the Sabbath day. Don't gather sticks. Don't do anything. He tells them, do not do it. There's a man that goes out and and he starts gathering sticks. I'm going to do whatever I want to. And they bring before Moses and say, wait a minute, this guy's out on the Sabbath day and he's gathering sticks. You know what God told him to do? Kill him. I did not know that gathering sticks was a capital offense. But guess what? We didn't have to worry about it again. Point was, is that God had told him these are not optional. When I tell you these things, obey me and listen to me. To just say, oh, it really doesn't matter, let the guy gather sticks, is to say that the law didn't matter. Same thing with Moses, whenever God came after him because he didn't circumcise his son. It's not optional, okay? So God gives this visible appearance of his presence. Now, let's go over to chapter 14. So Pharaoh's going to come after these people. Like we were talking about, he's getting ready to hunt them down. So Exodus chapter 14, so Pharaoh thinks about it and he says, you know what, I'm going to go kill these people. So he's going to go chase them down. So we're going to go to Exodus 14, starting with verse 10. And it says this, and when Pharaoh drew near, so he's coming after them. A lot of people don't realize that this happened. They think about standing before the sea. They think Moses raising up his staff over the sea, the sea parts they go through. There's actually something that happened before that. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, so they were very afraid, rightfully so. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. 
Then they said to Moses, now I want you to understand what they're saying to Moses is a recurring thing over and over again. God at one point says, I'm done with these folks. He says, Moses, I'll start over with you. These people just will not listen. Every time something goes bad, they said, oh, that we would have stayed in Egypt. Oh, it was more wonderful in Egypt. You know, it's just kind of like pina coladas in, in the beach all the time. I'm sorry, lemonade and with little umbrellas. I said pina colada and everybody's like, you can't say that in church. Okay, work with me, fellas, work with me. I didn't say anybody was drinking something major. Okay, so, so think about this for a minute. They're telling everybody, well, we had more food we knew what to do with. Yeah, I'm sure as Keith Green said, eating leeks and onions by the Nile was wonderful. But in their hearts, you know, were there not graves in Egypt? Were there not this? We had pots of meat in Egypt. We had this, that, and the other. If it was so wonderful, why did you want out? Why were you praying to be delivered? But anyway, so verse 10, uh, look at, ver- oh, excuse me, verse 11. Then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us so to bring us uh, up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than we would die in the wilderness. Here's the problem with that comment. Who does that comment ultimately affect? Does it just affect Moses or is this also directed at God? It's absolutely directed at God. Whenever they ask for a king, whenever they say, hey, we want a king, Samuel looks at them and says, you have a king. It's the Lord God. They said, no, we want a king like everybody else. Really? Really? It's always better with somebody else. And then God has to tell Samuel, Samuel, don't be upset with them. It's not you that they have rejected. They have rejected me. And they keep doing this over and over again. So it's not... Or let me say this, why is it not that they can't remember the deliverance, that they can't remember the plagues, that they can't remember the death of the firstborn, that they can't remember, you know, all the things that God has been doing for them? Once again, still walking in unbelief. So verse 13, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, I, I guess in this miracle, one of the things that I want you to see is early on, this is the way God dealt with his people. He didn't necessarily ask them to do anything. He said, I just want you to trust me and to believe me. I got this. I'll handle it. Now, later on, you'll see more and more. He says, put a sword in your hand, go on, go on. And he'll send them out there to do battle. But early on, take a look at this deliverance. So he says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he will, that he will accomplish for you this day for the Egyptians. Now, this is cool if you catch out the phrasing here. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall not see them again, or you shall see them again no more, forever. You're looking at them, you won't see them again. Verse 14, the Lord will fight for you, and you shall be, well, <laughs> I guess this is kind of funny to me, I want to be careful how I say this and I don't want to draw it out too much, but it says the Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. In other words, God just wants you to do one thing for him. Can you just shut up? Is that ugly to say? I probably shouldn't say this, but the only thing they're doing is we're better off in need. Just do yourself a favor and 
Zip it, okay? Stand still, hold your peace. God will take care of this. Yeah, that stuff about Egypt, I, I probably wouldn't go into that anymore. So anyway, and all he wants you to do is hold your feet. In other words, stand still, be silent, and see the glory of God. And the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go over on dry ground through the midst of the sea. All right, I want to make sure I'm in the right place. Yes, I am. And indeed, I will harden the heart, hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh over all his army and his chariots and his horsemen. In other words, this is what we're talking about. There will be a testimony to what God has done in his deliverance of the Hebrews and the destruction of the Egyptians. So it says, then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh and his chariots and his horsemen. Now catch this. And the angel of God, that's capital A, okay? And the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel, that will be that cloud that you were seeing who went before the cap of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. So it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel that this was a cloud, excuse me, that it was a cloud and darkness to the one, but it gave light, okay? It gave light by night to the other so that the one did not come near the other all night. Now, interesting here. A lot of people miss this. So you remember that cloud that was doing its thing and they were following, they're standing there, they're crying out. So they're looking at the sea and here's a cloud right there. It moves. It literally goes and gets right behind them. Chariots of Pharaoh start coming up and what does it do? It is complete darkness. They can't see through it, but yet it's giving light to the Israelites. And God says, lift up your staff, get them across the sea. Very powerful moment. God is protecting their rear, their rear guard. All right. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided, so that the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on the right and on the left. Some people want to say, well, and you look at some manuscripts that says the reeds, reed sea or sea of reeds, and this, that, and the other, and it was only about yea deep. Well, you know, people, I joke about this all the time, but, you know, drowning an entire army of Egyptians and something about that deep is a pretty cool miracle also, okay, if that were the case. But that is not what the Bible says, nor what it intended. It says whenever the wind blows, there is a wall literally on both sides of them. The wind blows through, it dries the land, they cross over on dry land. They don't have to worry about it. They go through the sea. Okay, let's see here. No, we'll, we'll just keep reading just for fun to see what God does here. But 22, it says, So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them and on the right and on the left. Verse 23. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning, watch, that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. What do you mean troubled? Here we go. It's going to tell you. He took off their chariot wheels, so they, they drove them with difficulty, and the Egyptians said, let us free, flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights 
for them against the Egyptians. Now, some people would say, well, maybe they just weren't getting any good traction. That's not what the Bible says. Yeah, literally, they're going along and their chariots just start falling apart. And they realize there's no reason for this. Why are we getting slowed down? Because God's trying to get them into the water and he's trying to get the Israelites to safety. So they're realizing this and they're saying, we need to get out of this. Somebody's fighting for these folks. Okay. Verse 26, and it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots and on their horsemen. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, not just three or four inches, people, to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel walked on dry land in the midst of the sea and the waters were a wall to them. And it talks about again, reiterating left and right. So the Lord saved Israel that day Out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. All right. So, great event in Scripture. Everybody knows it. It's it's a real neat event. But people, I want you to to kind of put this in the back of your mind as you're studying this. Um, This is not just another tale This is not just another Iliad or Odyssey. This is not just a hero that is spoken of to help us understand that God was with his people at one time. People, this actually happened. A sea was actually parted. They walked through with walls of water on both sides. God did this. How? You right now in this church, how would it impact you to see that? Now, some people would say, well, my faith would be rock solid. But you're going to see in the next few verses, it's not that rock solid for them. And they witnessed it. They were there. I'm sure they touched the wall of water. Now, I'm that person. You know what I'm talking about? The one person that will not listen. You know, I'm walking along and they're like, you know, y'all just stay in the middle of the path, don't do anything. And I'm like, okay. You know, but anyway, I'd be touching everything. I'd be collecting stones. This was in the bottom of the sea, you know. But as funny as that sounds, I believe some of the people did that. And this is branded into their mind. You say, why would God go to such extremes? God could have destroyed the Egyptians on the land. The whole point is that he is showing his people he can do anything. Nothing, absolutely nothing is beyond his power. And these are symbols God allows them to go. We talk about the crossing through the sea being a symbol as well in the New Testament, talking about baptism. Okay, they are symbols of God's great deliverance. And God wants us to know that he did these things. And people, if he did it then, he can surely do it now. As a matter of fact, God does a lot of this stuff still. The problem is, is that a lot of people don't believe that he will. So anyway, 
Amazing, amazing, amazing. We've got a couple more minutes and then I need to cut you loose. No, no choir tonight, by the way. But let me see. Um, ooh, I need to make an announcement about Friday as well, about the office. I know you put it out, but I'm going to share that as well. So that I, don't let me forget, Miss Peggy, throw something at me. Something soft. <laughs> okay. Okay, so let's do this. Um, go to chapter 16. You remember I told you the grumbling continues? Let's just go to chapter 16 and look at chapter 2. Now, now just help me out. If you had just walked through a sea, I would probably be a little grateful. You know what I'm saying? Even if, you know, I might have been a little uncomfortable or somebody might have upset my apple cart or something like that, I'm probably not going to look at God and say, you know, big whooping deal, you know? But let's, let's take a look at this. So chapter 16, starting with verse 2. Then the whole congregation. Now, what, what's happening here is in their traveling, Okay departing from Egypt. So then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread until we were stuffed and full. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill, uh, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Okay, you say, Shane, why? Why is this a heartbeat in Scripture? All this is is grumbling, right? I beg to differ. I beg to differ because Jesus differed. When Jesus is driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit where he is tested or rather tempted by the devil, when the devil comes to him, it says Jesus had fasted for 40 days and for 40 nights and afterward was hungry. So whenever he comes to him, the tempter comes to him, he says, if you're the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. Lord, just fill yourself, you're hungry. You know, Jesus refers to this wilderness wandering. He refers to this instant. And do you know the scriptures that he is actually quoting from? They actually come from Deuteronomy, which is re retelling of these stories. Okay? But literally what happens in there is God tells them this. You remember Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone. In other words, if you go through this life, you can eat all the food and sustenance you want from this world that you want to, but one day you're going to die. Regardless. I don't care how healthy you eat. I don't care what you do. I don't care how well you take care of yourself and how long you prolong your days. At one point or some point, you are going to die. That's the way it is. From the dust we came and to the dust we shall return. Although the curse of sin is broken, it is still going to happen. So, the devil comes to him and, and he tempts him, you know, eat this bread. And he says, man does not live by bread alone, but you want to know how he does live? He lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Because whether you have a bite to eat or not, as long as you have feasting upon the word of God, even when your body gives way, you shall live. As Jesus said, because I live, you shall live also. Okay? So man does not live by bread alone, but he does live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Here's the deal. When you go back and you study this with Deuteronomy, everything that's happening here when they're complaining about eating, God says, here's what I'm doing. 
Here's my deal. Here's what I'm trying to accomplish. He said, I brought you into the wilderness and I let you be hungry. I let you be hungry to test you to see whether you would love me, trust me, and listen to me so that you would come to know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. This was a test that they would choose him over themselves and learn to trust him whether they had the abundance right in front of them or they had to go a while in a trial. Kind of wild, isn't it? And what are they doing here? Oh, we should have died in Egypt. We had pots of meat. We were eating so much bread, we were stuffed. It was kind of like going to Wendy's every day. I'm just kidding. So anyway, we're going to have to pause there for the night. So i tell you what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Okay, so, so let's do this. Uh, worship team, you don't have to come up, but let's all stand together and let's bow our heads. As we're in an attitude of worship, is there anyone here that says, Pastor, I need special prayer? I'm not talking about anointing right now. We'll get to that in just a minute. But somebody says, God's dealing with my heart, Pastor. I just really would like for you to pray with me right now. Is there anybody with an uplifted hand? Absolutely. 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 Okay. Father, I pray for these that are here tonight. And I ask you, Heavenly Father, to bless them, to pour out your Holy Spirit upon them. God, to give them grace and to give them strength. Father, what they need is not a special worded prayer. Jesus, what we need is you. And Jesus, I ask you to be with those that are here tonight and those that lifted their hands. I pray, Father, that you would help them as only you can. I pray that in their hearts you encourage them, but I pray that you would fill them so with your Holy Spirit so that they would be strengthened, that they would feel your grace, your love, that you would help them in the decisions and things that they face. I pray, God, that you would be that peace speaker to them and that you would bless them right now. Father, keep them and keep us as a church. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, secondly, is there anyone that needs to be anointed or anything like that and to be prayed for tonight? Anybody, 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 anybody? All right. Then the Lord bless you and keep you and you have a good night. Oh, what am I doing? Friday. Friday, yes. I love it when people point at me and do stuff. Makes me happy between you, Mr. Frazier, Mr. Payne. Okay, everybody, we've had a lot of sickness that's been going around. And this Friday, I believe the school's closed as well. We are going to close the offices on Friday. We're going to clean everything real good and make sure we don't have a lot of traffic for Sunday. So we're going to shut down the offices then. I'm also going to offer this to the staff. The staff normally comes in on Thursday, okay? But what I'm going to ask them to do is as quick as you can get your work done and you can get out, you're free to get out. I want to give it as much time as we can tomorrow, okay? So if you can get out early, you're welcome to do so. But Friday we will be closed, okay? Just letting you know. So if you need us, get us on cell phone, okay? God bless you. You're dismissed. Oh, yeah, Friday seniors, go for it. Okay, 9 o'clock Friday, Volunteer Parkway for seniors.